Lamar. Winning lottery numbers coming up. I'm gonna switch it up for y'all a little bit. Get crunk. You know why? Huh? It's hurricane season. Nah. The new Miami. The new Miami. More rolling. Throws it up for grabs. And it's intercepted. Al Blades Jr. with the pick. And how fitting is that for Al Blades Jr.? Absolutely fantastic job by this Miami defense to close this game out. Another turnover chain will be on his neck. But I got to say, the gutsy effort by David Moore and this Chippewa team has been absolutely outstanding. Jaron Williams takes a knee. And that will wrap things up. Gutsy performance by Coach McElwain in the Central Michigan Chippewas. But Manny Diaz comes away with a win. It might be ugly, but it doesn't matter at this point. A win's a win. Put it in the column and you move on. Miami gets two weeks before Virginia Tech. Manny Jayhoff from West Palm. Man, I was at the game. I left uh, at the third quarter and I listened to it. You know, listen, I'm with a couple of fellas that are making fun of me. I mean, I had one dude next to me that wanted to order uh, cotton candy uh, for the defensive line because he wasn't impressed and he felt like they were soft. And I believe that they were soft. Cotton candy, he, he, the guy was walking down the aisle. He said, hey, how much would it cost to put uh, for 54 cotton candies for the defense? Come on, Manny. I mean, this defense is not impressive. I'm not impressed with Blake, uh, Baker, whatever his name is. Come on. We need that Manny-style aggressive defense. I don't feel... I just don't feel it, man. I don't feel the uh, the aggressive style that we need, man. We need it. This game, it's an embarrassment. Offense, I don't know what Enos is doing. I don't know when that first drive was happening, the first, uh, beginning of the, uh, the game. I said, oh, this is going to be good. We should be at least hitting 35, 40 uh, uh, points today. But what happened? Come on. Come on. I mean, the offense, please. Somebody got to wake these people up. Someone wants to order dipping dots for the offense. Tell me what's going on, Manny. Why are we struggling so bad on defense and offense? And I know they may say, oh, they only scored 12, 12 points off on the defense side. Yeah, okay, 12 points, 12 points. All right, but Manny, come on, man. This is not what I wanted to see I, after last week against Bethune Cookman. I said, okay, you know what? They might be starting to jump. But good God almighty. Now, Nope, they ain't telling at all. That offensive line, oh my God, they almost had Jeremy killed. I thought they would have to uh, dig a uh, uh, grave right there in the end zone. They almost had that brother again. Who is that, um, that tackle that cannot block anyone? Back-to-back sacks? Come on! Somebody got to wake this team up, baby. Help me out here, brother. Manny, this is Raul from Hialeah, Papi. Oye, Le Zumba Mango Man, what a terrible game yesterday by the Hurricanes. I cannot understand the money. I cannot understand it. Yesterday I go to the game, esperando que esta gente van a salir con todos los hierros. We're going to come at them with all the iron. And we're going to come at them and continue to build momentum. But what do we do? Nos estancamos, money. Nos estancamos. I don't understand it, man. Me tienes hasta el último pero la gente esta. It's crazy, money. We almost lost to the Central Michigan. Super Chippa Wasasa, Chippa Wasasa, whatever the name is. I don't know the name, money. It's so bad. How do we do this, money? And Danino has the money. Danino sabe nada. Él no sabe nada. And Blake Baker has turned our defense into tremendo arroz con mango. I feel more like to the mentality, oh, money. There is no new Miami. This is old, ugly Miami. 
It's like you pick up your ex-girlfriend. And she puts on fake pestañas. She, she puts on a push up bra and she stuffs her booty with some socks and stuff. And then you get home and you find out it's all been a lie, Manny. These guys, David Finley has done a fantastic job making them get the musculito, looking all pretty, ay bonitillo, but they look like Tarzan and play like Jane. This is horrible, Manny. If this doesn't turn around, Manny Diaz is going to be the biggest hurricane con man since Nevan Chapillos. I cannot take him, Manny. Oh, it's Cinderella, I'm gonna have to come down there to Coral Gables and start smacking people around, Manny. And I don't like to do that. Raul does not like to have a smack of people, okay? I don't like to have to smack of people. Please, Manny. Do something for me, Manny. Talk it to the team. Talk it to Manny Diaz. Algo. Goodbye. Welcome back to the Wide Right Podcast. I'm Manny Navarro, Miami Hurricanes beat writer for The Athletic. The Miami Hurricanes are 2-2 two two after Saturday's 17-12 victory over Central Michigan. But this didn't exactly feel like a win for the U. This game was more of a faith shaker. When you're favored to win by more than four touchdowns against a Mac school at home, come out and really struggle offensively, it makes everyone who believe in Manny Diaz's sales pitch about a new Miami, it rattles their confidence. As you heard from our voicemails and from all of the commentary on social media, here's my take after being at Hard Rock Stadium last night for the game and talking to players and coaches afterward. The biggest thing that bothered me was this feeling of, hey, we won. We know we have a lot to fix, but it's better making those fixes after a win than a loss. I get that. Of course, it would have been catastrophic to lose to Central Michigan. Miami didn't do that. They won an ugly game. But the reason you have to be concerned as a Miami fan, in my opinion, is that we've seen this body language and this talk before. We saw it when Al Golden was here. saw it under Mark Richt. The acceptance of a poor performance or calling it a work in progress is really deflating to hear if you're a fan. Now, I know Miami's coaches were upset. My issue was more with the players. Manny Diaz came out and said from the jump when he got this job that he was going to get rid of that disease. He talked about the standard, how you have to reach for the high standard and get this program back to winning big. Well, winning big isn't holding on for dear life to beat Central Michigan. Winning big isn't scoring 17 points against a Chippewas defense that lost 61 to nothing two weeks ago and gave up 21 points to Albany in the opener. Winning big is not accepting a performance like the one the Hurricanes put up Saturday. And yet, I don't think anybody from Miami, outside the coaching staff, was truly upset about that performance. I don't. In fact, I asked quarterback Jaron Williams if anybody in the locker room was upset or frustrated by the way the team played. Here's what he said. I mean, I don't think anybody's upset or angry, but a win, a win's a win, you know. We, we, but we're, the thing is, is, we're not complacent. You know, we're not going to get complacent. We understand that we got to get better, and we understand that we got to learn from this win. So, um, really just... Just take everything from this game that we can learn and, and try to apply it to this week coming up and get better from it. So, um, you know, we're happy we won. You know, win's a win at the, at the end of the day. Um, but we know we got to keep getting better. Now, listen, for a little context, when I asked Jaron Williams that question after the game in the press conference, he'd already taken a shower, walked out of the locker room, was getting ready to get on the team bus. In the end, I'm sure there were probably a few players, some veteran players and leaders, who were not happy with that performance, including Jaron Williams, who played arguably his worst game yet this season. He was not good regardless of what the stats say. But Miami is in serious trouble this season if going out and playing like they did against Central Michigan is going to be accepted. I can tell you many former Hurricanes who won championships here would not have felt very good about what they put on tape Saturday, and there would be hell to pay internally. What I'm interested to see here as Miami enters its bye week and begins preparing for Virginia Tech 
is how players hold themselves accountable in the locker room. Because if the Shaq Quartermans and Michael Pinkneys and Devon Donaldsons and DJ Dallases are not driving that point home about lifting the standard, then you can bet whatever money you got in your pocket right now that this team is going to have another 6-7 to seven win season. And athletic director Blake James and Manny Diaz are going to be feeling the heat. Okay, before we bring on former Hurricane Kelvin Harris to discuss some topics off Saturday's game, there's a reminder to our listeners that you can participate in our podcast by calling our voicemail box and leaving a message. The number to call, 929-430-7764. As I mentioned earlier, Miami will be off this week before getting back to work and preparing for Virginia Tech's visit to Hard Rock Stadium on October the 5th. All right, it's time to break down what happened on Saturday with former Hurricane Kelvin Harris, starting center for two seasons at Miami, won three national championships from 1987 to 1991. Kelvin, you're the perfect guy to bring on after a game like this, in my opinion, because you always look at the bright side when it comes to this program. And because you know the game really, really well, having played it, you know, not only the college level, but the professional level. It's funny, I, I, I left Hard Rock Stadium last night feeling a couple different things. One, I was surprised, at least from the post-game interviews, that... There wasn't more anger from the players and the coaches. I felt like the old school Miami Hurricanes would have been livid if they only beat Central Michigan 17-12 at home. And I didn't think Manny Diaz or his players really expressed enough disappointment with their play. Uh, with, yeah, since then in your in, in your call to me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was gonna say, which to me it's kind of the reason why this program has fallen off a little, uh, you know, since the championship days. And secondly. After watching that game, I felt like the offensive line played a really, really bad game. And I felt for Jaron Williams because I felt like he was victimized, took a lot of big hits. Then I called you and, you know, we had our conversation. And before I pitched it to you, you know, I, I, full disclosure, I went, I, I studied the film all morning today, uh, looked at every single play, and it really changed my opinion about the A, the way Jaron Williams played, and B, the way the offensive line played. You know, I mean, again, the production was not good. 51 yards rushing, 1.5 per carry. So they, they weren't dominating the line of scrimmage. But from your vantage point, from your eyes, what did you take away from, uh, from an offensive perspective last night, Kelvin? Well, first thing I'll say is this old saying that you hear coaches say on shows all the time or in press conferences and you think it's a, you think it's a slogan. But it really is true. The film is never as good bad as you think it is and it's never as good as you think it is and you just got a dose of that in the flesh because you know i see everybody jumping to conclusions but until you really sit down and analyze it you don't realize you know there's certain things that you don't see and what i saw yesterday was offensively we were flat how much of it was play calling how much of it was performance mostly performance uh there was a couple of situations and then here's the other thing that it's hard to express to the average person and even to, believe it or not, some ball players, mostly defensive players, confidence in your offense affects play calling. You know, case in point, Pittsburgh last week, everybody's like, well, why'd that guy kick the field goal and not go for it on fourth and one? And he basically said this week, I remember watching the game yesterday, he said, look, we ran we had four short yardage plays. We ran three of them. They didn't work. So in his mind, he was saying, well, the fourth one ain't going to work. So let me just get the, the for show points and we'll come back and figure it out later. And so one of the plays that let me know that maybe Enos didn't have full confidence in the running game early on was on the second or third drive where we went forward on fourth and two and we went and came out in shotgun and threw a pass that got knocked down. That was like, 
Okay. That ain't the message that you, that ain't the play that you call if you got full confidence in your offensive line. So that let me know that from the jump, Enos was a little shaky about the O-line. It was up and down. Um, Zion Nelson had some technique issues that caused those two sacks that he, in, he ended up correcting. Uh, Ja'Kai Clark had a couple of technique issues, and he was in and out through the fourth quarter. And I saw a couple of plays where it was effort, but for the most part, the effort was pretty good. But Jaron is still holding on to the ball a little bit too long. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I, and I think, really, Manny Diaz said yesterday this was our fourth best performance of the season in four games. I think, without question, you know, Jaron Williams, to me, even though he, you know, the numbers say you know, 250 yards, 17, uh, 24, 24, and a touchdown. You know, while he made some good throws, he also made some bad decisions. And he should have probably thrown two, at least two maybe three interceptions in this game when I go back and, and look at the film. Oh, yeah. And, and really, the safety, and you and I talked about this this morning before we got on the podcast, the safety was on him. Mm-hmm. Safety was on him because I don't know if I, I think I've said this before. When I was with the Rams, going out every day with the quarterbacks, the quarterback coach and offensive coordinator, we would go through the center snap thing, but it was more like a pre-practice. It was a pre-practice session because we would go through plays. And the thing that he, Aaron Zampezi, would always instill in Jim Everett, who's our quarterback, and the other quarterback says, if it was a seven-step drop at 3.5, it's your fault. Yeah. <laughs> so when I look at plays, even now to this day, I'm counting in my head because I know that the ball is supposed to be gone in 3.4, 3.3 or less. And, like, nowadays there's not a lot of seven-step drops. It's mostly three- and five-step. So, realistically, the ball is supposed to be going in two-and-a-half seconds. That safety, Jaron Williams had the ball in his hand about four seconds, maybe five. Yeah, it was so, about 3.6 when I when I did the clock. When, and, and the so, one, yeah. I was going to say, the one thing about that play, and, and you and I also talked about this before we got on the podcast, you know, Navon Donaldson did his job giving him three-and-a-half seconds but he's the guy who, who got beat ultimately by the defensive lineman who got to him. He's got to keep blocking, you know, even if it's past 3.5 seconds. And it looked on the replay to me that I kept looking over and over again. He stopped blocking after about three and a half seconds. He did. He did. And I, I think I've told you this and I told other people, I don't grade him. I grade him a little differently. I grade him on a scale. I compare him to what Quentin Nelson was in college because he has – you know, everyone looks at him and they see a potential first-round draft pick. Well, if you're going to do that, you you know, I told this, I, I told one of his family members, I got to see some pancakes out of him. Now, when you watch him on film, does he make blocks? Yes. And especially in pass protection help, he's really good. Like, there's a, a some video of a kid from LSU yesterday where he... He pancaked two guys on a pass pro. Donaldson's done that. He does. He, he's real good at help, and he's he doesn't get beat, but it could be better. And that was one of those situations of he did the minimum of his job where he could have done more. But no, he's not getting bull rushed or anything like that. He's not getting beaten bad. He's got good feet, but it's just got to be more. You know what I'm saying? When you, especially when you got a young officer, and I'm just, I'm amazed at how young we are. It's like, someone said this to me this morning. They said, you know, the expectations that we have for this team, when you really look at it from outside of the team, we're delusional because if you look at the fact that you have 10 offensive linemen between your first team and your second team, 
not one senior, and out of those 10, only one junior. You have a redshirt freshman quarterback. You have a brand-new offense, brand-new offensive coaching staff, brand-new head coach, brand-new secondary. <laughs> I mean, when he broke it down to me like that, I was like, well, yeah, I guess you got a point there. But it is the University of Miami, and we are very talented. And there is no there is no off season where you get to have an off season and you know well we'll just suck it up and take five and seven this year. Well, that's just not going to happen. And I think the kids understand that. But it's a roller coaster. You're a dad. You got well, how old's your little girl? They're they're eight and four. I got two of them. So so two two little girls. So can you imagine? You you see the roller coaster every day. One day is great. The next day is down. <laughs> the emotions. Uh, it's the same thing. It's just that these kids are 19, 20, and 21, and they're more opinionated. They are, but I, I will tell you this, and, and, and I'll go back to the first topic I brought up today, which was, to me, not enough emotion, not enough anger in, in the post game, and, and, and that's something that I think a lot of fans see, and, and they see that as a problem, as this, this program, you know, Manny talks a lot about, hey, we have to play to a standard, we want to win championships, we're not going to accept mediocre performances, but the reason why this game hurts so much this morning, if you're a Hurricanes fan, it's it's a sign it was that mediocre. It, yeah, I mean, it's a sign that things really haven't changed. I mean, we saw this under Al Golden, we saw we saw this under Randy Shannon, we saw this under Mark Richt at times. Even w- through the ten and zero start, there were games that they just didn't play well. Now, as as a guy who played the game, and it's funny, the first thing I asked you when I called was, "Hey, Kelvin, was there a game you guys won that you guys were upset afterward?" And you surprised me with your answer. You're basically like, "No, that that kind of stuff didn't really happen." But <laughs> I just got to be honest for me. All right. Uh, like I told you, my freshman year, the year 87, we went 12-0. and Steve Walsh was the quarterback. And it was so weird because I remember having this conversation with Daryl Fullington uh, one night in a nightclub, Manhattan's. We're sitting in a bar. First of all, I shouldn't have been there. I was 18. But, hey, it is what it is. So we're sitting there, and he's like, yeah, I don't know how good we're going to be because this Walsh kid, he can't throw from one side of his club to the other. And, you know, the guy that's supposed to be a quarterback transferred. And, well, Steve Walsh shows up against Florida, and is, you know. And so we played the Florida State game, won that 26-25. But then between Florida State and, I believe, Notre Dame, we had about four or five cupcakes in a row. And I think in the middle of that cupcake schedule, we had one game where we just we stunk up the joint. And, you know, guys are pissed off. Well, Jimmy was more pissed off than anybody. And guys are like, man, and we got to do better. But it wasn't anything like this. It wasn't like where it looked like we was going to lose and, and, and I got to be honest, I never thought we would lose this game either. But it was too close to call. And in this, in the game that I'm talking about, like, we should have beat them by, I think we were a 40-point favorite, and we beat them by, like, like 18 maybe. And he scored a touchdown in the fourth quarter to make it close. And, you know, Jimmy was just irate. But it didn't even come close to this. I mean, well, you- this is like. Well, you told me you spoke to a couple of the players, right? I mean, I know you, you, you're sort of a mentor to some of these guys, and I'm not asking you to to sort of go back on, on you, you know, your friendship with them and give us any secrets, but you, you told me this morning these guys were upset. They weren't happy with the way that they played. Yeah, and which I was hoping for because mm-hmm. <laughs> they were like, well, yeah, we won. Like, oh, no, no, dog. <laughs> no. <laughs> but, no, they understand 
these these couple of guys I talked to, they're older. And see, here's the problem. The older guys, they understand, but you got some young guys that it just doesn't sink in. And then here's something that is going to be very disturbing to you and every other fan of not just University of Miami, but any school. These kids just ain't wired like that. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to, I'm going to give you a scenario. Alabama is losing to Clemson in the national championship. There are kids on their sideline who are talking about, man, I'll be glad when this game is over. I'm ready to get in this draft. Now, that's Alabama. <laughs> so, and they have an established culture. So if you got kids in Alabama that don't care, they're getting their ass beat in the national championship. You can imagine the, the, the challenge it is for somebody like Manny Diaz or a guy like Willie Taggart who's, who was handed a dumpster fire of off the field issues to change those cultures, uh, some of these other places. And when they interviewed Manny at halftime, you could tell he was just not a happy camper. Well, you could I tell, mean, but I, to me, it's always more important that the players feel it than the coaches because the coaches, it's their job. They're getting paid millions of dollars to win. To me, it's are there guys in leadership positions of this team? that are going to get in the you-know-what of the other guy this week in practice and make sure that this kind of performance doesn't happen again. Because the bottom line is, Kelvin, they come out and play like this against Virginia, Virginia Tech, even Georgia Tech, who I know is down and, and just finished losing to an FCS team. They come out and they play like this, they might not go to a bowl game this year. Yeah, well, we, uh, we, we're, what, four games in, so we got eight games left. Seven of the eight games we have left, uh, no, let me back it up, six of the eight, because I got to be honest with you. I know it's a dude, and they beat us last year. Duke's not beating us, even if we play like this. And I know that sounds brash, but Duke's not beating us. Six of the last eight games are toss-up games, because if we don't come with a semblance of our A game, yeah, we could lose those games. Definitely, the, because the thing that you got to look at is you have some really good coaches at these places. Virginia Tech's coach, even though he's got some issues at his program, he's not a bad coach, and he's got a damn good defense coordinator in Bud Foster. Virginia, goes without saying, Georgia Tech, they got a good coaching staff. So, And then here's the thing. Manny, that I think the fans need to understand and the players need to understand that you is a big target. These kids aren't just playing against the opponents and sometimes against the ref. They're playing against me and Randall Hill and Michael Irvin. They're playing against the ghosts of UM Pass because the referees and coaches on the other team, and they remember the glory days because they're in our age range. So when they look at Miami, they expect to see that. And that's just not fair to those kids, but that's just like if you're Michael Jordan's son and you're playing basketball, everybody expects you to be pretty damn good. Now, is that fair? No. So I think these kids are starting to understand that ain't no easy outs. Everybody going to come with their AA game. And I can't say that I can sleep well on any of the next three to five games because, I mean, you know, Florida State, could put it up, you know, with our luck, Florida State will put it all together the week they play us. <laughs> and Georgia Tech will just happen to have an epiphany the week they play us. Because it's us. Mm -hmm. And you're right, you want these kids to understand, but you just, every week you see a game that says, well, how'd that happen? And 
Uh, I don't know, but I can tell you the kids that I'm talking to, they're not happy about what happened yesterday. And my thing is, I can't, us alumni can't come to these kids and say, you guys suck and you need to do work harder. You know, you got to kind of look at it from a situation of, all right, how do I make the situation better? I mean, I know if I just tell him that he sucks, it's, it's not going to help. So we got to figure out where the trigger point is to resolve the issues. And, you know, my, my biggest thing with, with not just our kids, but with this generation is I don't think, one, most of them love the game as much as we loved it. And two, they don't study the game as much as we did, meaning they don't watch enough film and understand their opponent. And I think that's part of the problem, because if you watch film just a little bit, you can pick up these tendencies and it makes the game easier. But we're dealing once again with two true freshmen who you got to think about it. How much high school film you think these guys watched? I mean, who watches film in high school? So it, it, it's a lot going on here, but I really think that they'll focus for the next two weeks and we'll beat Virginia Tech. But it's not going to be a blowout. So if you got nails, you're going to probably have nubs after this homestand is over with. Because it's going to be nail biters. One final point to make here, and, and just a couple of observations from what I saw in film. One, they went to John Campbell, put him in at right tackle right after DJ Scaife kind of got rolled on on that second you know, back-to-back -to -back sacks against Zion Nelson. Then Scaife came back in. They put him at guard. And they put him at guard, right? And then Campbell went over to right tackle. Zion Nelson stayed in the game at left tackle after those two sacks. Uh, which again, and another, he got better. and he got better, right? Um, people this morning, though, and, and on social media, you know, taking shots at Dan Enos. They don't like his play calling, per se. And, and and you know, I went back and I looked. I mean, Enos does a lot of things to try to get rid of the ball quickly. I and mean, there's a lot of quick, quick screens, a lot of bubble screens, and throws out to the receivers. You know, that Jaron doesn't exactly hold on to the ball for more than a second. And you know, a lot of wide receiver sweep, jet sweeps. Do you think he's... all the stuff they wanted Mark Rick to do last year? Right. I mean, do you think he's creative enough? And and ultimately, it, it, was it just the offensive line getting their butts whooped, not being physical enough, not strong enough? What would you sort of put? yesterday's performance on when you look at it uh the other team has they on scholarship too for one mm -hmm. and i'll tell you i it was hard to get a lot of film on this team but the stuff that i did watch is i noticed that their corners are god awful in man coverage many i'm gonna be honest with you i will put you out there and feel more confident than what i saw <laughs> from them so when i did my you know my podcast i score prediction I had 52-7 because I thought they were going to do the same thing they did the first three weeks. Well, that's why their offensive, your defensive coordinator gets a good check because he said, well, after that first series where we scorched them with the tight ends up the seam and they blew, they were in man coverage, but somehow they managed to lose a 240-pound tight end, he went straight zone. He went zone blitz. He went, he played a little bit of man, but it was mostly zone. And that was the difference. That was the difference. Well, do you think do you think Enos deserves some blame there because he's getting a bigger paycheck, I'm sure, than the defensive coordinator of Central Michigan? I gotta go back and watch the game again and see could he have switched out certain things. But I gotta be honest with you. I mean, if you're calling quick hitting plays and your quarterback's holding on to the ball, I mean, other than you getting back behind there and taking a step directly, what else can he do? Again, I think like I wrote in my story today, it's a, it's a reminder the new Miami ain't here yet. That's the bottom line. This no, is no, 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 no. The new Miami is here, but it's not like. All of the old Miami problems just leave is because you come up with a hashtag. Right. I mean, what's that saying? Rome wasn't built in a day. Right. Let's go back. Butch went five and six with the second year. How many of these same fans were calling for his job? And how'd that work out? 
<laughs> he built the next, uh, the, the last national champion here. Look, people just gotta get off the ledge, take off the, the flag jackets, don't dive off the bridge, take the gun out your mouth, don't run out in front of traffic, relax. <laughs> it's gonna be okay. Uh, we have 10, um, let's go over this again. Our two deep, there is only one upperclassman. No seniors out of those guys. So that means we got these guys for the next at least three more years. So can you imagine in two years what that offensive line and Jaron Williams is going to be like? Well, you hope that they improve, you know, that they get better for sure. All right, Kelvin, I appreciate it, man. Thank you for uh, coming on, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Okay. All right, appreciate it. Thanks to Kelvin Harris for his participation in the podcast. Love having Kelvin on, and you can check out his podcast, The Huddle Cast. Just look it up on Apple or Spotify. He's got it there. Just type in Kelvin Harris and Miami Hurricanes Huddle Cast. For us, this is it for this episode. We will get back to you on Thursday, talk about some more subjects related to the team. Eight games to go in the regular season. I know uh, the faith has been rattled, but uh, we'll see. I think Miami's still in pretty good hands in terms of Jaron Williams. I think they've got a quarterback. They've got some playmakers on the defensive side. But any dreams of a perfect run to the end of this regular season, I think, are pretty much dashed after what we saw on Saturday. I want to take a moment to inform our listeners about a new daily podcast on TheAthletic.com called The Lead. Our team here at The Athletic and our friends at Wondery just launched a new daily sports show, and I know you're going to love it. The Lead is the first daily sports news podcast that will cover everything from the world stage to the hometown. With the help of The Athletic's more than 400 sports writers and editors, co-hosts Kavitha Davidson and Anders Kelto will bring you sports news up close and personal each weekday morning. You're about to hear a preview of The Lead. Please subscribe to The Lead on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now so you don't miss an episode. There's also a link in the episode notes that will take you there. You can also check out theathletic.com backslash the lead to read stories featured on the lead podcast. You can follow sports through sound bites or the full story from up in the press box or down on the sidelines. What do, what do you want to accomplish this year? Actually, I want to accomplish getting on this team first. This fall, a new daily podcast brings you closer to the sports stories that matter. Stories about players. A guy like Zion just represents that hope of the failures of the past don't matter because we've got this guy now. And that's the buzzer. Oh, he knocks it down. Stories about hometowns. You will see hundreds of people wearing number 32 Simpson jerseys uh, in the stands on Sunday afternoons for a Bills home game. And stories about the teams you love. This was the first chance for all those baseball fans to see their guys. From The Athletic, home to the best storytelling in sports. And Wondery, the company behind Sports Wars and Gladiator. I'm Kavitha Davidson. And I'm Anders Kelto. Introducing The Lead. Go beyond the box score, five days a week. This isn't a story where you go to some place and interview the athlete and go home. It stays with you. Are you the lead premieres September 16th on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now. The lead. Sports up close. Hey, hey, I need some more of that.